New Providence Island, 1720. It didn't take long for the Dutch merchant ship to be captured. It wasn't large nor heavily armed, and the merchant sailors knew that it was better to surrender than fight. Most pirates just wanted cargo, not blood. But now the captive sailors all had their eyes on one pirate in particular. During the fighting, this cutthroat swore the loudest and killed without remorse. More blood was spilled by their hand than the rest of the crew combined. However, none of that surprised them as much as this butcher being a woman. Anne Bonny gazed upon their prisoners with a bloodthirsty smile on her face. Another successful prize in her burgeoning career, and the fear of death resting over its crew. Now it was time for the next phase, recruitment. Anne and her captain, Calico Jack, announced that anyone who wished to join their pirate crew was more than welcome. They promised riches beyond their wildest dreams. The allure was enticing. Most of the prisoners agreed to join. As the men lined up to sign the Articles of Agreement, one of the new pirates, Mark, stood out to Anne. There was something different about him. And then it dawned on her. That evening, as the new pirates drank in celebration, Anne cornered Mark and said she knew the truth. Mark was in disguise. There were now two ladies aboard their ship, and both of them were to go down in history as the most ruthless women to ever sail under the black flag. Welcome to Dictators, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This season of Dictators, we're looking at the tyrant captains and dictatorial democracies that flourished in the golden age of piracy. For the back half of this special season, we're going to focus on a section of pirate history that is all too often neglected, female pirates. Today, we begin our look at Mary Reed and Anne Bonny. We'll dive into the superstitions surrounding women being aboard seafaring vessels and how Bonnie and Reed defied expectations to become two of history's fiercest pirates. Next week, we'll step even further back into history to chronicle the lesser-known but wildly successful women who came before Bonnie and Reed. We'll discuss the legendary pirate careers of Jeanne de Clisson, Grace O'Malley, and Saida Alhura. We'll have all that and more coming up. The golden age of piracy was dominated by colorful and cold-blooded men. Between the mid-1600s and the 1720s, captains like Henry Morgan, Henry Every, Blackbeard, and Charles Vane terrorized the Caribbean and American colonies. And thanks to Captain Charles Johnson and his book, A General History of Pirates, these scallywags became the stuff of legends. However, they weren't alone. Among this rogues gallery were female pirates. And although history has chosen to only remember a handful of them, that doesn't mean they didn't leave behind a legacy of death and destruction. After all, if a woman wanted to survive the nasty business of piracy, they had to be just as brutal as their male counterparts. So why have women faded into the background of pirate lore? 
Why is it that when we think of pirates, we automatically conjure up the image of a Blackbeard or a Long John Silver? To answer all of that, we need to dive into the topic of nautical superstitions. Sailors have always been superstitious, and each superstition varied in its level of absurdity. For example, people with red hair weren't allowed on board because sailors believed they brought bad luck. And whistling was forbidden because it could, quote, whistle up a storm. But some of the biggest superstitions involved women. It was believed that having a woman on board a ship was considered bad luck. It didn't necessarily matter what the bad luck could be. A sudden storm, getting lost, a freak accident. But a surefire way to avoid it was forbidding women to sail. As nautical historian Benison Little notes, women aboard roving vessels were usually passengers, prisoners, prostitutes, or wives, the latter two usually aboard only in port or while the ship prepared for voyage. Otherwise, ships were cleared of all our ladies before cruising. Like most superstitions, it's difficult to pin down the reasoning behind them or their origins. As centuries passed, these fantastical beliefs simply ingrained themselves in nautical lore. However, one possibility is that sailors' anti-women sentiments go all the way back to ancient Greece. One of the most well-known seafaring legends in Greek mythology is recounted in Homer's epic poem, The Odyssey. After spending a decade wandering about after fighting in the Trojan War, Odysseus leads his men back home to Ithaca. Along the way, they face a myriad of obstacles, including the sirens. In classical mythology, sirens were described as being half animal and half human. Their lower bodies were that of a bird, and their upper bodies, including face, were of a beautiful maiden. Though the sirens weren't technically sea creatures, they dwelled upon the rocks and islands in the Mediterranean, where it was said that they played the lyre and sang. Sirens had the most beautiful voices. Combined with their musical gifts on the lyre, they had the ability to calm winds that blew. But calming the wind wasn't their mission in life. The sirens used their voices to lure sailors to their deaths. While the sailors were distracted by the music, two sea monsters living near the island of Sirens would attack their ships. Both of these sea monsters, Scylla and Charybdis, were also women. Scylla was described as having six heads and three rows of teeth. She lived in a cave along a shipping lane where she waited to attack passing ships. Meanwhile, Charybdis was the daughter of the sea god Poseidon and Gaia, Mother Earth. After angering Zeus, Charybdis was transformed into a shapeless sea monster and forced to swallow water for eternity. Traditionally, this meant that Charybdis became a giant whirlpool. Now, it isn't 100% certain that the sirens, Scylla, or Charybdis are the origins for the sailors' superstitions about women. However, it's possible that these tales of murderous female sea creatures led sailors to consider all women a danger. But ancient superstitions weren't the only reason why sailors didn't want women aboard their ship. Another reason was because it was widely believed that women would be a distraction to the crew. Surprisingly, the distraction wasn't necessarily of the carnal variety. As we discussed in Henry Every's story, 
Pirates rightfully earned the reputation as savage sexual predators. But sex wasn't the sailors' primary concern. It was safety. As we've discussed in previous episodes, life at sea wasn't pleasant. It was brutal, backbreaking, and downright miserable. As historian David Cordingly notes, it was unthinkable that women should be subjected to the physical demands of life on deck and the wet, cramped, and foul-smelling conditions below. Historian Bennerson Little called such an attitude for what it was, sexism. Sailors didn't believe women could hack it at sea. And if things went wrong on a ship and a woman was on board, they were often blamed. It was easier for men to deflect their own incompetence onto someone already perceived as being weaker. In some cases, a no-women policy was written into the crew's articles of agreement. In one of the few surviving pirate codes, Captain Bartholomew Roberts wrote, No boy or woman to be allowed amongst them. If any man were found seducing any of the latter sex and carried her to sea disguised, he was to suffer death. Of course, just because these men didn't want women on board didn't mean it didn't happen. The allure of piracy was too irresistible. Why should the boys be the only ones allowed to seek fortune and adventure? But considering what we've discussed so far, it obviously wasn't easy for a woman to just join a crew. They had to be smart about it. Sly. And as Roberts wrote, one of the best ways to get one past the men was to dress up as one. Historian Gail Selinger notes how women twisted societal norms to their advantage. For example, an easy way to trick the crew was to cut and style their hair in a standard shoulder-length pirate hairdo. Another way to fool them, as easy as it sounds, was to simply not bathe. Sailors rarely kept a normal hygiene routine, as long as you smelled like a pirate, nobody was going to be looking too close. But looking the part only went so far. A woman needed to act like a pirate. Those who did showed that they were just as cutthroat, if not more so, than the men they sailed with. And no women proved that more gruesomely than Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. Coming up... Bonnie and Reed sail west and join the pirate ranks. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa from Parcast. If you haven't had a chance to check out my series, Mythology, you don't know what you're missing. Heroes, gods, monsters, and mayhem. This podcast has it all. Every Tuesday, take a deep dive back in time, exploring the history, origins, and meaning behind the myths that have shaped the Earth. Each episode of Mythology dramatizes a story pulled from beliefs from around the world, giving insight into how our ancestors saw the universe and how those stories resonate in our lives today. Recent episodes include the epic battle between Hercules and Theseus, the grieving spirit known as La Llorona, and a treacherous journey to the land of the dead. Catch new episodes every Tuesday and binge the classics anytime. Follow Mythology free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the story. For centuries, women were considered bad luck for sailing. Nautical superstitions dictated that women brought poor weather and led to disaster. But that didn't mean history wasn't full of female pirates. 
And without question, the two most infamous women to sail during the golden age of piracy were Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. Their fame is due to two key factors. First, they built reputations for being just as shockingly violent as any man. Their ability with the blade and the pistol showed the world that women were more than a bad omen or a distraction. And second, they were featured in Captain Charles Johnson's A General History of Pirates, the literary sensation that hit London in 1724. The mere fact that ladies could be as murderous as men fascinated readers. Since then, Bonnie and Reed have become legendary in their own right. Unfortunately, much of what we know about Bonnie and Reed comes solely from Captain Johnson's book. And as we've mentioned previously, Johnson had a tendency to embellish stories for the sake of better sales. However, there are various records that do shed some light on the ruthless duo of Bonnie and Reed. Anne Bonnie was born Anne Cormac sometime around 1698 in Cork, Ireland. She was the illegitimate daughter of William Cormac, a lawyer, and William's maid, Mary Brennan. It's unclear exactly when William's wife learned of the affair between her husband and their maid, but when she did, she promptly gave William the boot. William then moved in with Anne's mother, but was worried that their cohabitation would ruin his business. So he dressed Anne up as a boy and claimed that she was a lawyer's clerk. Sadly, the ruse didn't last very long. The affair eventually did cost William his business. Several of his clients were unhappy with his unfaithful reputation. And William was then without a source of money. But even then, he couldn't abandon his daughter Anne and instead wanted to find a way to provide for her. So he decided to do what so many did in the 17th and 18th centuries. He crossed the Atlantic and moved west. It is unknown when young Anne's family left Ireland for America. However, what we do know was that they laid down their roots in Charleston, South Carolina, then called Charlestown, and quickly became filthy rich. Somehow, William was able to purchase a rice plantation, and from there, he grew his business exponentially. Some sources claim that he became wealthier as a planter than he did as a lawyer back in Ireland. But despite climbing the social ladder in the South, the new family wasn't able to avoid tragedy. About the time when young Anne was 12 or 13, her mother died. Anne took her mother's death hard. She didn't become sullen or depressed. Instead, she got angry. She earned a reputation around the plantation as having a fiery temperament. Rumors and stories quickly surfaced that she treated the enslaved workers on their plantation harshly. One story, which was told years later, alleged that Anne punished an enslaved worker by stabbing them in the leg with a knife. However, many historians debate the validity of the claim. Even Captain Charles Johnson said it was groundless. Her volatile disposition, alleged or otherwise, carried over to her love life. Anne was said to be beautiful, and as the daughter of a wealthy plantation owner, she had her choice of suitors but she rejected all of them. In one instance, when a suitor got a bit handsy, Anne returned the favor. She beat him so badly the suitor was bedridden for several weeks. However, Anne wasn't above the idea of marriage. She just wanted to have a say in it. Unfortunately, her gaze fell upon a man named James Bonney. 
James was a penniless sailor who only wanted to marry Anne for her father's fortune. But Anne didn't realize James's real motivations, and she fell head over heels for him. But her father, William, wholeheartedly hated James. When Anne ignored her father's objections and eloped, the heartbroken William disowned his daughter. With no fortune to survive on, Anne and James Bonney looked elsewhere to make their living. And around 1718, the two decided to make their way to the raucous pirate haven of New Providence Island in the Bahamas. Once in New Providence, James Bonney did the opposite from the rest of the locals. Instead of becoming a pirate himself, he turned into a pirate hunter. At about this time, royal pardons granted by King George I to any pirates who surrendered would have nearly expired, meaning any pirate who hadn't renounced their ways was liable to be hanged. While James Bonney was gallivanting in the Caribbean Sea, Anne was left to her own devices. She spent her days drinking among the very types of men James was off hunting, including a pirate captain named Jack Rackham, nicknamed Calico Jack for the brightly colored pants he often wore. The British-born Jack Rackham had been around the Caribbean for quite some time. He made his bones as the quartermaster to Charles Vane, the same Vane who spent a week partying with Blackbeard on Ocracoke Island. Jack was well-liked as a quartermaster, so much so that when the crew became frustrated with Vane's leadership, they voted Vane out and Jack in. Jack had been a captain for about a year when he met Anne Bonney around the spring of 1719. And when they met, both Anne and Jack fell in love. Of course, Anne was still technically married. Legend has it that Jack tried to buy Anne out of her marriage to James Bonney. Enraged, James sought an adultery charge against Anne. But before either Anne or Jack could be punished, the two lovers fled New Providence. While at sea, Jack invited Anne to join his crew, not just as his lover, but as a full-fledged member. It's unclear exactly how Anne managed to convince the other men to let her stay. However, considering that she already had a reputation for her fiery temperament, it's hard not to imagine she was able to fit right in with a crew of uncivilized vagabonds. Throughout the rest of 1719, whenever the pirates captured a ship, Anne Bonney showed that she wasn't afraid to get her hands bloody. In no time at all, she became an expert with an axe and a flintlock pistol. Sometime around 1720, Anne Bonney and Jack Rackham laid their sights on a Dutch merchant ship. After successfully capturing it, Jack and Anne asked their captives if they wanted to join their pirate crew. Jack Rackham immediately recognized one of the captives. It was a young man named Mark Reed. Mark had briefly sailed with Jack when Charles Vane was still captain. When Mark signed on to join the crew, Jack was thrilled. However, that feeling of excitement was quickly dashed when he saw that his beloved Anne was socializing a bit too much with Mark. When Jack confronted Anne, she revealed the truth. Mark Reed was actually a woman, Mary Reed. The similarities between Mary and Anne's early lives are stark. Mary was born around 1685 out of wedlock somewhere in England, and as a child, her mother disguised her as a boy to mask her illegitimacy. It was all part of an elaborate scheme by Mary's mother to trick her in-laws into thinking that Mary was their legitimate grandson. 
The charade went on for several years before the in-laws discovered that not only was Mary a girl, but she also wasn't related to them. The in-laws immediately cut Mary's mother off, and she now had to figure out a way to support the both of them. Keeping Mary disguised as a boy seemed like the perfect way to make ends meet. So, while still a child, Mary got a job as a page for a wealthy French woman. This was likely the time when Mary started going by the name of Mark. Mary worked as a footboy until the time she hit puberty. Fearing that she would get caught as she developed into a woman, Mary resigned from her post. However, she didn't stop using the male disguise. According to Gail Selinger, Mary enjoyed the freedom her disguise allowed and continued her life as Mark Reed whenever it suited her needs. Around this same time in 1701, the War of Spanish Succession broke out. For unknown reasons, Mary decided to enlist as a sailor on an English man-o-war. Mary managed to keep her disguise going for a while in the Royal Navy. During this period, she learned the ins and outs of how to sail, giving her quite the advantage when she later turned pirate. Eventually, though, Mary grew tired of life on a military vessel. She moved to the Flanders region in present-day Belgium and joined the English army. While there, she fell in love with a fellow Flemish soldier. After revealing her true identity, she and the Flemish soldier secretly married. But when word reached command that there was a woman in their ranks, Mary and her new husband were both discharged. Mary and her husband moved to the Dutch town of Breda and opened a tavern. Known as the Three Horseshoes, the tavern quickly became popular among soldiers and veterans. It was an overnight success. Sadly, the good times barely lasted. Not long after the tavern opened, Mary's husband died. Shortly after that, the War of Spanish Succession came to an end. With no more soldiers around, the tavern went bust. Unable to keep the bar going, Mary decided to sell it. With few options left to support herself, Mary brought back the male disguise. She got a job working on a Dutch merchant ship and sailed toward the West Indies. On her journey west, Mary's ship was captured by pirates. But not just any pirates. It was Captain Charles Vane and Calico Jack Rackham. And when Mary, going by Mark, was given the chance to join the pirate crew, she willingly agreed. For the next year or two, Mary and Mark disappear from the historical record. In all likelihood, Mary took a royal pardon once Vane's ship reached New Providence and found legitimate work on a Dutch merchant vessel. But in 1720, that Dutch ship was captured by Calico Jack Rackham, and Mary was a pirate once again. Almost instantly, Anne Bonny recognized Mary as a woman. And Mary, seeing Anne walking among the crew without a disguise, eventually revealed her true identity to Jack. While he was shocked at first, Jack was more than pleased to welcome another woman to his crew. What Jack didn't realize was that soon, Bonnie and Reed would go on to overshadow their captain. The reputations for brutality hung over the Caribbean like a specter. And as their reign of terror grew, the governor of the Bahamas would make it his mission to bring the women to justice at the end of a rope. Coming up, Bonnie and Reed refuse to go down without a fight. Now, back to the story. 
1720, Mary Reed joined Anne Bonny and Calico Jack Rackham's pirate crew. So long as Mary could hold her own on deck and in a fight, her gender seemed to matter very little to the rest of the crew. But the two women on this ship were becoming notorious throughout the rest of the region. Contemporary accounts describe Anne and Mary as some of the most vicious fighters during a battle. One surviving witness claimed that they, quote, were both very profligate, cursing and swearing much, and very ready and willing to do anything on board. It was a testimony like this that helped build a reputation for Bonnie and Reed. Not unlike Blackbeard, who sowed fear to keep his men in line, Bonnie and Reed used their reputation to gain an equal say among the crew. Women, historically speaking, weren't even supposed to be a part of the crew. However, Anne and Mary proved their worth and then some, becoming key members of Rackham's crew. This tightly knit group made both Bonnie and Reed fiercely loyal to their mates. Anne was already known to be close with Calico Jack, and Mary also had a lover of her own among the crew. And when another crewmate challenged her lover, Mary took matters into her own hands and killed the challenger in a duel. As the summer of 1720 was drawing to a close, the pirate world knew the names of Anne Bonny and Mary Reed, and it became clear to the authorities that the women needed to be put down. The straw that broke the camel's back came on August 22nd. While docked in Nassau, Calico Jack, Anne Bonny, and Mary Reed stole a 12-ton British war sloop, the William, straight out of the harbor. For Governor Woods Rogers, enough was enough. On September 5th, Rogers declared that Calico Jack Rackham and his crew were enemies of the British crown. In his proclamation, he specifically named Anne Bonny and Mary Reed among those who needed to hang. Rogers sent Captain John Barnett to reclaim the William and capture Jack, Anne, and Mary. But the pirates were already in the wind, sailing around Jamaica. On October 22nd, the pirates captured a boat full of rum near Negril Point, on the western shores of Jamaica. Flush with booze, Calico Jack and his crew did what pirates do best, got rip-roaring drunk. By about 10 p.m., the bulk of the crew had passed out below deck, except for Anne and Mary. The two women decided to keep watch on deck, and at some point in the night, they spotted a suspicious sloop, loaded with cannons headed in their direction. As the ship got closer, it was obvious they were about to be attacked. The two women went below deck to try and rally the crew to fight. Unfortunately, almost all of their crewmates refused to wake up. Only a drunken Calico Jack and a handful of others managed to grab their cutlasses and get ready for battle. When Anne, Mary, and Jack returned to the deck, they realized the sloop was captained by the governor's man, John Barnett. Captain Barnett ordered them to surrender. In his drunken days, Calico Jack answered by firing a small cannon mounted along the deck rail. Barnett responded in kind. Soon, the William was completely disabled. There was no hope for escape. Calico Jack surrendered immediately, but Anne Bonny and Mary Reed refused. The two women fought like mad dogs, killing several of Barnett's men in the process. Mary was disgusted by the cowardice of the men. As legend has it, she reportedly yelled out, 
If there's a man among ye, you'll come up and fight like the man ye are to be. When no one responded, she fired a pistol through the deck opening and killed one of her own crewmates. Eventually, Barnett's men were able to overpower Anne and Mary. They were rounded up and placed in shackles. Their pirate career was over, and it looked like their lives might be too. Anne, Mary, Jack, and the rest of the pirates were taken to Jamaica to stand trial. The men were tried first on November 16th. While a handful of them were acquitted, the rest were found guilty. Their sentence? Death by hanging. On November 18th, Calico Jack was the first to see the noose around his neck. He asked to say goodbye to his lover, Anne Bonny. But Anne allegedly shouted at him, I'm sorry to see you so, but if you'd fought like a man, you need not have been hanged like a dog. With a farewell for the ages, Anne watched Jack Rackham and the rest of his men swing from the gallows. Their bodies were displayed on Plum Point, today known as Rackham's K, as a warning to other pirates. Anne Bonny and Mary Reed's trial didn't begin until 10 days later, and it was the sensation everyone expected. The fact that the pirates were women drew in large crowds. The trial appears to have only lasted for a day. Witnesses stepped forward detailing how the two women were murderous thieves and active participants during their raids. It was easy for them to be declared guilty later that day. Anne and Mary were said to have remained quiet throughout the day. However, after they were declared guilty and sentenced to hang, they rose and made a shocking announcement. They were both pregnant. A doctor confirmed that both women were, in fact, pregnant. Because of this, the court ordered a stay of execution until after the women gave birth. But Mary Reed never made it to the gallows. On April 28, 1721, she came down with a high fever and died in prison. The two prevailing theories were that the fever was a result of either childbirth or typhus. Meanwhile, Anne Bonny vanished from history altogether. No surviving records have indicated if she was executed or freed. Naturally, this has left the door open wide for theories. One of the favorites, though without any proof, speculates that Anne was saved by her father, William. Word quickly reached the Carolinas that a pregnant Anne was sentenced to hang. With his substantial wealth, William was able to quietly secure Anne's freedom. Regardless of what ultimately happened to Bonnie, her legacy with Mary Reed will always remain. There's a reason why Captain Charles Johnson brought their story to the masses. They were the two deadliest women in the Caribbean. No one remembers the men who sailed under Calico Jack Rackham. No one really remembers Calico Jack himself. He wasn't as cutthroat or as terrifying or as successful as Henry Every and Blackbeard. Rather, he's only famous because of the women who sailed with him. Anne and Mary's career together only lasted less than a year. But during that time, they proved that they were better than any man who sailed with them. The fact that they were the ones who fought to prevent their capture is a testament to their courage and ferociousness. And although they never reached the level of captain, it's hard not to imagine that perhaps, given the chance, they would have been elected to leadership. All signs point to the two being highly respected among the crew. 
But just because the golden age of piracy's most famous women pirates didn't reach the level of captain doesn't mean ladies weren't ever captains. In fact, history is full of female pirate leaders. One woman used piracy as a way to get revenge for her husband's murder. Another became an Irish clan leader and went to war with the British Empire. And one even became history's only pirate queen. Thanks for listening to Dictators. Next week, we'll explore the pirate reigns of Jeanne de Clisson, Grace O'Malley, and Saida Alhura. Among the many sources we used, we found Pirate Women by Laura Sook Duncombe extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Dictators is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Brendan Hawkins, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Dictators was written by Joe Guerra, with writing assistance by Kate Gallagher and Andrew Messer, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Chelsea Wood. Dictators stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner. <laughs>